0: In the family, won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of the Gen X Files. Welcome to the Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam, and today's show is all about "Play Misty for Me." Play Misty, yeah, for me. Ooh, baby! Uh, so many flashbacks <laughs> to old
1: girlfriends on this one. Oh my God! <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Uh, this is our Love Hurts month, uh, starting off, obviously, Play Misty for Me. A lot people got hurt. A lot of people got hurt. <laughs> people got hurt. <laughs> yeah, they did. Oh, baby. <laughs> uh, God, it's such a
0: great movie. Uh, it's done so well. It really is. Well, it shows, A, how much Clint Eastwood really wanted to direct, and yeah. B, how he really prepared for it. And yeah. Yeah. this wasn't just him like, ah, I'll, I'll direct an action movie, or I'll do this. He, no. if you really no. look at the film... I would say his influences are the French New Wave. Yeah, uh, you know Godard. He learned a lot I- working with uh, the Italian directors. Yeah, uh, Sergio Leone. Yeah. There's spaghetti westerns. In the spaghetti westerns. He learned a lot about shooting lean and shooting mean. He also learned by being an actor mm-hmm. that actors can do their job without being micromanaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you don't need to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this was the beginning of creating his directing style, which. According to, a, you know, it's very polarizing. Certain actors really? love it. Yeah. Certain actors love it because they feel like they're trusted and they can yeah. move on. Yeah. There are other actors that are very insecure. <laughs> Looking at you, Robert Downey <laughs> Jr. from years ago. Yeah. Who just can't do that. They're yeah, like, really oh my God, great. I need another take. I need
1: another take. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. no, yeah. you don't. Yeah. There's we're no, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're good.
0: Yeah. You got what I wanted. And, the, and he consistently comes in under budget and
1: under time, yeah. and, you know,
0: creates really great movies.
1: Yeah, he's really great. It, his influences are really obvious in this movie, and it's and it makes for a very good movie. It's a very good uh, first effort. Yes, because it shows he really paid attention, and he is a filmmaker and not a director.
0: Yes. And there's a yes. big difference between the two. I know it sounds very, ooh, snooty snoots, but there really is a difference between someone who has no. a vision and wants of to course. tell a story in a certain way, and a director who's really good at shots and really good I- at...
1: Yeah, it it definitely felt very Hitchcockian to me. And, that was another And you want to yeah. compare someone to Hitchcock and do it well, then awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, more that, power to yeah. That's... that's a great place to learn. Yeah.
0: And I think he took so much. The guy pays a t- paid attention yeah. from the very beginning when he was old rusty on Rawhide or whatever. He's very smart. He, the guy was always paying attention because I think he was fascinated yeah. by the making of movies, loved the whole process of it. Yeah, yeah. And when he decided he was going to do it, he made sure he knew how to do it yeah. before he yeah. did it, which I think is really admirable. And just shows that the guy's got a lot of, he's just, he's got a lot of confidence, mm-hmm.
1: well-earned. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah for sure.
0: Uh, he's got a lot of ability.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. The raw talent is definitely there. Uh... A little cranky, though, sometimes. <laughs> 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 Well, take yourself back to 1971. Ooh. Uh, February 20th, the U.S. emergency broadcast system sends an erroneous warning across the nation's radio and television stations, meant to be a standard weekly test conducted by NORAD in Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado. Some stations cease broadcasting until the message is rescinded, as required by federal rules, while most ignore it.
0: Yeah, it's frightening. The, yeah, bombs, are can the imagine. bombs are falling. The bombs <laughs> <laughs> It's
1: literally like, hey, it's the end of the world. Yeah. Oh, I. They don't do. I, I. Well, maybe they still do the tests of the emergency broadcast system. But they do the, on the radio, man. In the eighties, it was always like in the middle of a show, yeah. suddenly like, "Oh my god, oh my god." Meep. Meep. Uh, 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 uh. This is ending. a test
0: of the emergency broadcast system. If this was a true emergency, you would be told where to go
1: and what to do and how to die. Uh. For me, growing up in Iowa, a lot of that time, the emergency broadcast system was used for tornadoes. And yeah. so it was always like, all right, yeah, <laughs> things are up. bad. Yeah, yeah, they still do it a lot on the radio. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming they the actual broadcast probably still does it. We just Maybe. don't watch it. Yeah, <laughs> no, Nobody does. <laughs> I not know. April 20th, uh, National Public Radio airs its first broadcast. That astounded me. I thought it was a lot older than that. I thought it was, too. <laughs> because that means
0: that... That means that Sesame Street came around before, before the yeah. National Broadcasting.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I I PBS had been around for a while before that. But, oh, this uh, is
0: NPR. So this is yeah. radio. It's there's weird. Radio, that radio, is which so is,
1: weird to me. Exactly. I thought it was very odd, too. I don't know if there were other like public broadcasting like radio things before that. I don't know. Uh but yeah, Maybe. NPR was April 20th, 1971. Like it's, it's nuts. Okay. I blew my mind. <laughs> oh, ho, ho. July 6th, Louis Armstrong dies from a heart attack in his sleep. He'd performed a two-week stint at the Waldf- Waldorf Astoria's Empire Room in March. Against his doctor's orders, he suffered a heart attack at the end of the run, and then a few few months later died. Yeah, he was like, rip, 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 my heart is hurting. Yeah. Rip, 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 rip. He played like two or three shows every day for like two weeks. Louis Armstrong <laughs> was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he saw Trees of Blue. He literally played himself to death. He did. <laughs> What a wonderful world! So, uh, <laughs> ouch, ouch! I love Louis Armstrong. Oh yeah, he was great. I mean, he, was fantastic. he was great. Uh, October 20th, play Mister, play Misty for me. Open, play Mister for, for me. Play Mister for me. Mister, Mister. Remember that, was, that band? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it opens in six cities around the country before going wide in November. Yeah, shows they weren't quite sure about it at the studio.
0: No. It was a very different film. I get
1: that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, it was taking a gamble. Look, it's 71. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this movie. There's some nudity, which isn't a very uh, common occurrence in films Mm at that time. No, no, no. There was some pretty graphic scary violence. Oh,
1: man, man. And a...
0: Third of the movie is just them walking around the <laughs> jazz festival.
1: So much jazz festival, and oh, random and random caramel by the sea beachfront oh, shots. He loves caramel. No, he does. He does. He loves. You know what his favorite thing is? Uh, uh, caramel sundae. Eating caramel and caramel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the script was originally conceived by Joe Himes, a former model and dancer turned secretary. I love uh, women named Joe,
0: and they spell it J O. Yeah. J-O.
1: yeah. Uh, was born in Philadelphia on January 15th, 1930. She worked as a model, dancer, and fashion illustrator, and moved to California in the 1950s to become a writer in show business. Nice. And that is not easy to do as a woman back then. Yeah. That was, that's definitely like, you got high aspirations, jumping into the middle of the boys club. Yeah. I mean, they had a few.
0: Remember, uh, Rose Marie on the Dick Van Dyke show. She was a writer. Oh, Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, they were, definitely, they were they're definitely round. Few and far between, but they were definitely round. She was a tough broad, though, <laughs> Rosemary. <laughs> he had to be. He had to be. Yeah, he had to be one of the boys back then, which isn't, you know. Yeah.
0: Which is even more impressive with her being an ex-model. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like, because they always portrayed women writers as dumpy and dowdy. Yeah. And it, it was very insulting. Or very bitchy
1: and angry yeah, exactly. all the time. It was and... extremely insulting. Yeah. But the reality of it. Was very different apparently. It was. It was. Himes was first credited as a production secretary on the science fiction movie Missile to the Moon in 1958. That was a good one. You know what they did? They shot a Missile to the Moon. Yep. <laughs> Himes received writing credits in television and movies in a wide range of genres for both independent and major film studios. These include the crime drama The Girl in Lover's Lane, the horror feature The Devil's Hand, the Western Navajo Run, and the Elvis Presley musical Double Trouble.
0: Now, it's called The Girl in Lover's Lane.
1: In. Yeah. (laughs) Wouldn't it be on? Apparently not. Is she inside the lane? Is she, like, in it? I don't... I've never seen the girl in Lover's Lane, so I don't know. I'm gonna destroy your love! I... It was a crime drama, so I don't know. It was a crime. They put her inside the Lover's Lane. the girl in Lover's Lane was murdered and buried inside Lover's Lane. Nice. I don't know. we got to watch it now. Too many questions. We have to. All right. (laughs) While working at Universal Pictures, Himes crossed paths with and befriended Clint Eastwood, then an up-and-coming actor. Hey,
0: what up, Himes?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sure that they got along real well. (laughs) I'm sure they did. I'm sure he... (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'm sure they were doing the do. A lot of people were doing Uh, it back uh, then. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. were doing
1: it. They were, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, by, the, <laughs> by the late 1960s, Eastwood had achieved international fame as a Western action star and wanted to begin directing his own films. Nice. Heim's drafted a 60-page screenplay for Play Fis- Well, Fisty for Play Me. Play Fisty for <laughs> Me. Well, that is... That's uh, a... That was a private a game parody. she played with Clean Eastwood. Yes. <laughs>
0: oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it, don't... Con- please do not look up Play Fisty for don't, Me. Don't do...
1: Do not it Google that. It will scar you for life. Yes.
0: I promise.
1: Uh, Himes drafted a 60 page screenplay for Play Misty for me. Uh, yeah. It's short. <laughs> it does. Well, I, I think, yeah. Well, I mean, they had to. Maybe that's why they had to include the half hour of them walking around. <laughs> right, it's true. There we go. Mystery solved. <laughs> All the musical interludes. Uh, would have just, the I'll just add the 60 page script. We'll just go to the Monterey Jazz Fest- Pop Festival. It'll be. Hey, the Monterey Jazz
0: Pop Festival is pretty. Yeah,
1: we'll just do that. <laughs> It was great. Uh, Himes based the obsessive fan character on a woman she knew after it was suggested to her by an acquaintance. Creeps. Yeah. Uh, Too many real people. Gene Shepard, I didn't include this, but Gene Shepard, the guy who created um, the Christmas story, he was a journalist and writer and stuff. Right. He claims that this is partially based off of someone that stalked him. Really? Yeah. uh, Which, granted, I'm beginning to think that it just happened a lot. Yeah,
0: it did. I got stalked. And I'm not even yeah. a celeb.
1: Ah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's creeps, it's, man. It's creepy. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, upon reading the treatment, Eastwood optioned the script from Himes. Clint Eastwood had an experience similar to this in real life about 21 years earlier, around 1950, when an ex-girlfriend stalked him and threatened to commit suicide after he broke up with her. Ah, emotional
0: blackmail.
1: It's the best way to win someone's
0: heart. <laughs> well, yes. If you win them by emotionally blackmailing them, If I'm with you because you're... Not if, if you if I leave you, you'll kill yourself. So I'm with you just to keep you alive.
1: <laughs> either I'm either you're with me or I'm dead.
0: Right. I don't resent you at all. Uh, that's awful. It really is. Awful. It's uh, indicative of a much broader range of mental issues.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Look, just
0: the tip of the iceberg on that one. I want to say, as somebody who has dated people with mental illness, mm-hmm. it's not a joke and no, it's no, it, no, no, it's no. not funny and it's not you know I, I used to make a lot of jokes about it and you know oh crazy ex girlfriends and that yeah. kind of thing but it's it's serious business and it's dangerous business too you know i mean yeah. there are yeah uh, if you date a sociopath you don't know what's going to happen oh yeah and yeah. the sad 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 truth is there's a a reason for them being a sociopath and yeah. it's abuse and it's a horrible childhood, and it's yeah. mostly from just being treated horrifically yeah. as yeah. a child. Um, i look. I'm no psychologist or psychiatrist. I don't know for sure. Yeah, I might as well be because I have, <laughs> you know. But I'm just you know. I don't want to discount mental illness, and you know, because no. we all say, oh, the crazy exes and that. kind yeah, of Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, she's just crazy. She's crazy. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's partially true, but at the same time, yeah, it is. They need help. Right. Like obviously they need help, but. For the purposes of this show, we might have a little fun, yeah, because it's yeah.
0: not—it's pretend crazy.
1: We've both been with people that oh, have been yeah. very crazy. Yeah, uh, I've—I think I've had to deal with it a little bit less than you have. I've—I've uh, I've made better choices with the women I've dated. Hey, look, I. <laughs> It's on me, too. No, no, no. You no, know, no. I, it's I, my
0: own peccadilloes that caused me to get into unhealthy relationships right, because right. I was unhealthy. You know I mean? Right. It right. takes two to tango, baby. And yeah. I'm not, you know, Johnny Sane Pants, who was like, <laughs> you know, the greatest, most well-adjusted person in the world who just happened to fall into
1: these, you know, right, crazy relationships. Right. It was part of my psyche, too, you know? It's hard when two people uh, want to start a relationship and they're both working s- through some really hard problems.
0: Well, there's also a certain thing that you and I suffer from or suffer from, yeah. uh, I think I'm better at it now and I think you are too, yeah. is we both had uh, a hero complex yeah, which is the coolest sounding worst mental no, it's, disorder it's... you could have because, oh yeah, you want to save her, it's a very narcissistic it is. Uh, it is. complex where you feel that you, I basically felt that I was keeping these people alive and without me, you know yeah. and, and it's yeah. not true, it's just a way yeah. especially, I'm not, I'm not speaking for you or other people that had the hero complex but for me it was a way to kind of Shy away from my own issues and problems, and right. focus on somebody right. else, and be like, "Oh God, look at all these problems! I have to solve these," and you know, it's it's just a tapestry of <laughs> just pain and ridiculousness, and it's unhealthy and it's codependent. Yes, and uh, yes. I want to one hundred percent put my own uh, uh,
1: responsibility on all of these issues. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Of course, of course. Well, <clears throat> Eastwood encouraged Times to sell it to Universal when she received a larger offer from Ross Hunter at Universal, who then immediately shelved the project. Dick. But what a great guy <laughs> Clint Eastwood is. Like, yeah. you know, if you're going to get more money, get more money. This is your career. He was thinking of her career rather than selfishly thinking of himself. Right, right. Because I'm sure even back then he was like, oh, my God, this would be so perfect to direct. to be my first feature. But yeah. you know what? It's better for her. Do it. Exactly. Like, I'll find something else. I'll, I'll do whatever. Which is, it is a staple in his career –
0: that he has such long running relationships with people that he has worked with for decades. Yes. Because they love working with him. Yeah. Because he 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 fosters when you work on a set, the director pretty much fosters the environment. So if yeah, the director yeah. is stressed and freaked out and a screamer, well then it's going to be a bunch of freaked out screamers on right, set. Right. If the director is calm, knows what he's doing, it's it carries over. Yeah. And everybody most everybody that's worked on a Colleen Eastwood movie would go back. Right. right. And, uh, you know, because it's just, it.
1: he takes the BS out of making movies and yeah. makes yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah, he does. You're right. A hundred percent. Like the director, I, I always go back to some bad TV show I worked on. And before every take, this great director, uh, his name was Darren. He would always just be like, look, man, let's have fun. This is not rocket science. Yeah. Let's just have fun. Let's yes. just do it. Which, you know, I mean, you have to get things done. You can't just be like, oh, let's party. No, no, but it's, but, you know, you're not, it's still just making movies. There's no,
0: when I was younger and working on sets and stuff, I would literally kill myself, try to, you know, Mm -hmm. work myself to death, or I would get hurt, or I would push myself to the limits, and looking back, that was just dumb. All you're doing is making movies. There's nothing life-threatening about this. There's no reason to put your life on the line, especially for the- crappy movies i was i like, almost <laughs> killed myself 10 times working on terror yeah. Part Two. yeah could you imagine if i died working on that movie yeah that'd be sad nobody'd ever remember me or that movie no, <laughs> it'd
1: no be worse it's true so short... actually it'd be the only reason why that movie probably be a little bit more famous if i died on it <laughs> so a short time later eastwood signed a three picture deal with universal and he brought the project back with the intention of making it the first film he would direct nice yeah, he's he's smart. He's he's not just creative, he's also a very good businessman. He plays the long game. He does. He does. Before Malpaso Productions co-founder Irving Leonard died, he and Eastwood discussed a final film, one giving Eastwood the artistic control he desired by making his directorial debut. Nice. Eastwood reflected on his role,
0: after 17 years of bouncing my head against the wall, hanging around sets, maybe influencing certain camera setups with my own opinions. Watching actors go through all kinds of hell without any help and working with good directors and bad ones. I'm at the point where I'm ready to make my own pictures. I stored away all the mistakes I made and saved up all the good things I learned. And and now I know enough to control my own projects and get what I want out of the actors.
1: From the very early days of his career, Eastwood was frustrated by director's insistence that scenes be reshot multiple times and perfected, and when he began directing in 1970, he made a conscious attempt to avoid any aspects of directing he had been indifferent to as an actor. Great. As a result, Eastwood is renowned for his efficient film directing and ability to reduce filming time and control budgets. Yeah, but he's got it. He's got it. Yeah. There's, it's a certain amount of insecurity
0: or perfectionism or a fault. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mr. Kubrick, but you know, making Shelley uh, Duvall do a thousand takes yeah. is not being a good director. That's being a sadist.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, there's Terry Gilliam's that way. Like, there's so many directors that are just burn, burn, burn the film, break down the actors to get what they want. It's just it's just cool. It's just, yeah, I it it's uh, Stanley Kubrick is very well known. Uh, I I was listening to. Um, I went to a screening of uh, Clockwork Orange Mm -hmm. and uh, Malcolm McDowell was there being interviewed by, um, oh my God, I never remember his name, the professional, the bad guy in the professional. Um, Oh, Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman was interviewing Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. They literally reshot like 90% of that movie after they finished it. Really? Because he wanted to change an actor and so he just reshot all this stuff. And the big thing that Kubrick always said was, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. And so he would just do stuff over and over and over until it finally found what he wanted. Okay. And I get it. Like, that can create, like, an amazing movie, but the process is awful. Right. But he gets that process because he delivers. I,
0: right? Sh- sure. Sure. Look, I there are certain auteurs that are head and shoulders above all other filmmakers. I would put Kubrick in that. I a hundred percent I, that, I don't know, disagree. And and I don't agree with his methods. But I, it's like tell, you know, it's like, look, Da Vinci, if he had weird, crazy you know, there's certain artists that are just artists. Sure. And I believe that Clint's an artist, but he he eschews eschews yeah. that artist uh the bullshit, the BS of being yeah, an artist, yeah. all the um uh the pomp and circumstance, yeah, if you yeah, will. Yeah, sheds that away and, and, and makes it base and easy and interesting. Yeah. And he's a guy that knows what he wants right. and gets it right. rather than the opposite. Right. Yeah. Which is, I,
1: I understand that's Kubrick's process, but if I were to work with him, I would literally never work with him again.
0: Sure. Well, not a lot of people did.
1: <laughs> it would be, <laughs> ah, I would go insane. It it's would a drive tough, me nuts. Yeah. It's a, it, We've worked with people like that. Whoa. We know people like that, and I don't work with them anymore for that particular reason.
0: Well, those people weren't Kubrick. <laughs> They yes. did not deserve. To I don't act care. That way. I still,
1: I don't care because I know at the end of the day there are pe- more people like Eastwood out there than there sure. are like Kubrick. Sure, look, I would work with Kubrick if I had the chance, of course. Yeah, you know how could you not?
0: But uh, but yeah, there's a lot. You're right. There are a lot I, of people I, that yeah. that think that they're auteurs yeah.
1: that aren't. There've they're been right. like five auteurs in the last yeah. two hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He usually avoids actors. Clinius would usually avoids actors rehearsing and prefers to complete most scenes on the first take.
0: Yeah, because it's like, it's fresh and it's new. Capturing that raw energy. Yeah. Mm Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Eastwood's rapid filmmaking practices have been compared to those of Woody Allen, Igmar Bergman, Jean-Luc Godard, and the Coen brothers. When acting in others' films, he sometimes takes over directing, such as for the outlaw Josie Wales, if he believes production is too slow. God, that would be so humiliating. (laughs) Although, let's just say that the Coen brothers emulate
0: him because he came first. Of course, of course. Okay. Uh, But yes, I mean, that would be horrifying if you were a director, and he's like, "Ah, I'm taking over. Yeah. Hey, let's do it this way. it's a chance, kid. Now (laughs) it's my turn.
1: In preparation for filming, Eastwood rarely uses storyboards for developing the layout of the shooting schedule. He also attempts to reduce script background details on characters to allow the audience to become more involved in the film, considering their imagination a requirement for a film that connects with viewers. He's more of an author than a filmmaker. Yeah. He's like a guy writing a book and
0: letting you interpret certain details. I mean, that's what Right. That That's what's beautiful about his filmmaking. It's less is more. Mm -hmm. And the
1: less he creates, the more you create. Right, right.
0: Because there's not a ton about this woman.
1: No, she no, I don't up. know her background, don't know, nope. she's just there. Doesn't matter. Like, you know she's been listening to him for a long time, but that's about it. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. You don't
0: know a lot about Clint Eastwood's backstory. No, you know, no. he was dating Donna Mills for yeah, a while. Like, and he, he's like he
1: came back. Eastwood has indicated that he lays out a film's plot to provide the audience with necessary, necessary details, but not... So much that it insults their intelligence. He trusts his audience like he trusts his actors and exactly. the people he works with. Exactly. He's a smart man who expects other people to be smart. Yeah. He doesn't put up with nonsense. He just assumes you're going to be as into it as he is. And he
0: doesn't care if you're not.
1: Yeah. He does not care. If you don't get it, you don't get it. He's not going to hold your hand. Yeah. When Clint Eastwood told Universal Pictures executive Lou Wasserman that he wanted to direct this movie, Wasserman agreed immediately. Do yes, immediately. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. Then, as Eastwood and his agent were walking down the hall, Wasserman called the agent back into his office.
0: Excuse me, Mr. Agent, could you go back here for just a minute?
1: In exchange for letting Eastwood direct, they wanted to pay him less than his regular salary under his three-movie deal. Eastwood understood, given that he was a first-time director. Ace's baby. In the end, he made the movie for a percentage of the gross. Yeah brilliant. Smart move. He I mean, made more money off yeah, of it that way than of course he, he did, did taking it, yeah. Of course he did, but he also understood that
0: he's an unproven asset, and he yeah. can't just go in demanding stuff. Even though he was a successful movie
1: star, yeah, he didn't yeah. go in there demanding stuff. Well, yeah, he's never directed. Like, he knows that. Exactly. He knows they know that. Exactly. It's like, it's like all right, he's give like, me a chance, I'll prove it, and then I'm going to have a long career. He's so damn practical. He is. That's what I love about yeah. him. He's so practical.
0: Yeah, and it just comes through. He's like a He's like a, a plumber or yeah. something. He's a yeah. tradesman. It's a craftsman, yeah. He's a tradesman and a craftsman, yeah. and directing is his trade, yeah. and acting is his craft, I guess. Yeah. And he's excellent at both of them, but he treats them as such. He, they're not precious. They're important. Yeah. And he takes them very
1: seriously, you, but it's not some precious... No, he, he can tell the story he wants and still make people money. Like it is, it is the balance between the art and the commerce, and he does that so well. Yeah, I would say he does that better than any other director, except for maybe Spielberg. Yeah, see. Spielberg is very much handles that. Yeah, 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 he gets that very well. Or he did. I don't know. I haven't seen Welcome to the Fablemans or whatever. Uh, it seems a little self-indulgent, but uh, <clears throat> but we'll see.
0: I don't know. It might be a good movie. I don't know. They're always good movies. I don't think he's made a
1: bad movie. No. Every even his less Bridge of Spies. <laughs> No, that was interesting. It was, uh, it was funny because he I mean, it was one of those. He just came on and said, All right, I'm going to do this. All of his movies are interesting. They're not all E.T., but all of them no. are interesting. No, they're, yeah, they're always, you can always pull something from them. Guys are Same with Eastwood. I, I'm not a, yes. He has some movies that I'm like, eh, but at the same time, they're all interesting and they all are entertaining enough to watch.
0: Yeah, look, he's got some lesser movies like Bloodwork and, uh, yeah, I mean, I like all the, look, uh, yeah, I like yeah. all these movies. Yeah. They're very, there's not a lot of movies like the movies he made in the 80s and 90s, which were very kind of slow burn thrillers yeah. or just slow adult movies yeah. that just yeah. kind of went at their own pace. And it was a departure because at the time everything was quick, quick, cut, quick, quick, cut, cut, Ugh, cut. You know, God, it was all yes. Michael Bay yeah. and it was yeah. all Transformers and it was all this, bah, 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 you just know, Matrix. Quick, quick, quick. And, yeah, yeah. and so it just seemed kind of quaint. A lot of his filmmaking, but it was solid. He had Gene Hackman and he had him and he had really good actors and Morgan Freeman. And, you know, the greatest Western ever made is The Unforgiven. I'm sorry. It's really a culmination of everything that he did as a, you know, it it was the perfect Western for him and his character. It took all of the characters that he played and judged them. Right, right, he was judging his career almost yeah. as a cowboy, and <laughs> yeah. atoning for stuff. It was brilliant. I mean, the uh, look that movie deserved all the
1: Oscars. Oh it got. yeah, yeah, for sure. Million
0: dollar baby deserved all the Oscars. It oh got. yeah, yeah. You know, the guy is still kicking it. Look, man, the mule. Yeah, he's having a threesome at ninety. <laughs> That's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that That is crazy. Gross, but honestly,
0: (laughs) come on, that's pretty awesome.
1: (laughs) So Eastwood brought on Dean Reisner to polish the script uh, for Play Misty for me. Dean's father, Charles Reisner, was a German-American silent film director, and Dean began acting in films at the age of four as Dinky Dean. (laughs) God,
0: that's a name you don't want to follow you around. Hey, Dinky
1: Dean, (laughs) you little dink. Uh, his most notable film role was in Charlie Chaplin's 1923 film, The Pilgrim. Yeah, he played the pilgrim. That's It's crazy to think that a dude that worked on this movie was in a Charlie Chaplin movie. Oh, like, well, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just— I mean, 71. I know. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is like 50 years later, almost sure. 50 years but later. But you know what's crazy? Is now the same era— yeah. Play I, Misty for me. I know, yeah, that's true. So that's basically true. Yeah. we're at the same time span. It's true. His career at this young age ended because his mother wanted her son to have a real childhood.
0: Wow. What so a good he mom. was
1: no longer Dinky Dane. He was just Dean. Oh, he was still Dinky <laughs> Dean. That poor son of a bitch. Every time he went to school, hey, here comes Dinky Dane. You gonna show us your dink, Dinky Dane, oh. you little dink? Oh. As an adult, his first job in films as a co-writer was as a co-writer of the 1939 Ronald Reagan movie Code of the Secret Service. Code of the Secret Service. Uh, Reisner won an Oscar for directing Bill and Coo in 1948, a feature film with a cast of real birds, costume as humans, acting on the world's smallest film set. Okay, I need to see that movie. I do, I, what?
0: <laughs> like, I need to see that it's movie. Like,
1: what is this? I will find Bill and Coo. We'll watch it.
0: Please do. And it's an Oscar-winning
1: film. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, throughout the 1950s and 60s, Reisner worked primarily in television, including writing for Rawhide and the tourist attraction episode of The Outer Limits. He met, that's probably where he met Eastwood. Yeah. Was Rawhide where he played uh, Dusty or whatever? Rusty, Rusty, Rusty. I
0: think it was Rusty. Uh, uh, just one, one more thing about Bill and Coo. You know they treated those birds horribly.
1: It of course they did. It was 1948. Yeah, so many birds died in that production. They probably like you know drilled wires into them to oh. pull them around God. and stuff. I like, still yeah, want to see yeah. it though. Uh, he would occasionally contribute to feature films like the Helen Morgan story. In 1968, he landed a job working on the Clint Eastwood action film Coogan's Bluff, and this in turn would lead to him writing several other Eastwood features throughout the 1970s. Nice, Coogan's Bluff, good movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. The same year as play Misty Fermi, Reisner penned Dirty Harry. Uh Joe Himes would actually do an uncredited uncredited rewrite on Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. Yeah.
0: Do you feel lucky, Punk? Or do ya?
1: <laughs> it's such a good movie. Uh, Reisner would also write The Enforcer in 1976, the third Dirty Harry film. Reisner would write a draft of The Godfather Part 3, but the draft was discarded when Coppola and Puzo agreed to write the third film together. <coughs>
0: mistake. A huge mistake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a giant mistake. Yeah. Uh,
1: Reisner would go on to write Das Boot in Starman in the 1980s. Das Boot? And I really love Starman. Starman's it's great. I had no idea it was him. Neither did I. And I didn't know he wrote Das Boot either. Oh, such a good movie. Oh,
0: God. So claustrophobic. Oh, 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 oh. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, Starman is such an underrated Jeff Bridges movie? Yeah. I was going to say Jeff Daniels. No,
1: Jeff Bridges. Yeah, but Jeff's mixed up, but... Uh, it was, um, wasn't it directed by, I was going to say Cronenberg, that's not right, um, Carpenter. Didn't John yeah, Carpenter direct that? Yeah, I think that? he yeah, did. Starman, and yeah. It, and
0: it also starred uh, Marion from the Yeah Lost Oh, yeah, Lost Ark. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Karen... Allen. Allen. Thank you. Oh, thank God! Two brains, it was, we figured out. <laughs> yeah, we got to get better with actresses' names. <laughs> I know it's dad. It's bad. It's dad. It is dad. It's dad. It's her neither of us are dads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during the fifties, Reisner was actually married to Myla Nurmi, better known as Vampirella. Yeah, who was played by Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie. She yeah. played Vampirella in yeah. uh, in like uh, Ed Wood. Uh, Ed Wood. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Reisner Looked just like her. Yeah, yeah. It was creepy. Uh, Reisner died from natural causes in two thousand two. Himes would go on to write a number of features in TV, TV movies before dying from breast cancer in 1978 at the age of forty eight. Holy crap, that is so young. It's too too too, early. too uh, early. And such a promising career. Yeah, yeah. I really sad because I was really curious to see what she would do with her later career. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously Clint Eastwood was playing Dave Garver. What? Uh, yeah, I know, I know. He's in the movie. I don't you know. know he he had to it. audition
0: for himself he six times.
1: He did he just kept doing it over and over. I don't
0: like it. I don't like it.
1: It's you, buddy. It's,
0: I'm in the uh, of my process.
1: Uh, Eastwood had just come off of acting in The Beguiled, directed by Don Siegel. Eastwood said of his role in The Beguiled,
0: Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino play losers very well. But my audience always likes to be in there vicariously with the winner. That isn't always popular with critics. My characters have sensitivity and vulnerabilities, but they're still winners. I don't pretend to understand losers, when I read a script about a loser, I think of people in life who are losers, and they seem to want it that way. It's a compulsive philosophy with them. Winners tell themselves, I'm as bright as the next person. I can do it. Nothing can stop me. You know, The Beguiled. Have you seen The Beguiled? No. Interesting movie. And it is really interesting because yeah. he plays this Civil War veteran, not sure which side. I'm thinking maybe the bad side. And he gets injured and taken in by this screw girl school or somewhere. yeah that sounds familiar yeah, yeah. and oh baby <laughs> it is creeps they take his leg it's just oh, like weird. oh man it is it is it, I get what he's saying because as a fan of Clint Eastwood yeah. as a kid you know watching everything that he did and then coming across the beguiled and being like oh another Clint, yeah. Clint Eastwood movie yeah it it was hard for me to watch because wow. it's hard to watch him be so vulnerable it's true right. what he's saying oh, yeah. it's weird yeah. and uh but it's a good movie you should definitely check it out I think uh, Sofia Coppola made a remake of it. Yeah. 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 Recently. I don't remember what it was called, but yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. super interesting. Check it out. It was back when he was making a lot of, he was taking some risks.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's, I think it was pretty apparent by that point that he, he was ready to do new things <laughs> and try new things. Like oh, yeah. he, he was definitely, you know, kind of done with L- the, yeah.
0: I mean, he spent a lot of time in Italy. Italy. Yeah, he did. He did. <laughs>
1: Uh, Jessica Walter was cast as Evelyn Draper. Uh, Walter is most likely known to modern audiences as playing Lucille Bluth in Arrested Development or as Mallory Archer in the animated series Archer. Very similar characters, but also very different. She plays yeah. overbearing mother. She's oh, so, well. <laughs> so good. She has over 170 credits to her name, spanning over 60 years. Walter had just come off the feature number one in 1969, starring Charlton Heston. I'm number one, damn it. <laughs> She made guest appearances on eight TV shows in 1970 and 1971, including Mission Impossible, Mannix, and Marcus Welby, M.D.
0: Marcus Welby,
1: M.D. She did a lot of TV at this time. Well, yeah, uh, she's just starting out. Yeah. Universal Pictures originally wanted Lee Remick cast in the role of e- Evelyn, but Eastwood had been impressed with Jessica Walter's performance in City Lumet's movie The Group in 1966 and cast her instead. Yeah. Lee Remick, amazing actress. Amazing yeah. actress. Way
0: too likable to play this part.
1: She doesn't yeah. have the eyes.
0: Jessica yeah. Walters has the eyes. She has crazy eyes down like nobody's business.
1: Yeah, I could totally I, – I get how he – Eastwood was drawn in by her. Oh, yeah. And, and then the, the switch and kind of going into the her being just cuckoo bananas. Oh, but yeah. Like, but, like, I totally get it. I totally agree. Also, I think there's no baggage with
0: her as an actor. People yeah. don't know her like yeah. they know Lee Remick. Yeah, that's true. So there's they they're easier. It's easier for them just to fall into the, you know,
1: yeah, yeah, just the kind of stereotypes
0: and and well, more. no, just it's easier for them to go along with the movie without
1: having yeah any preconceived yeah, yeah. agreed oh, Lee Remick oh, gr- is always right right, right 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 yeah. yeah 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 of course of course uh, Walter unfortunately would die in her sleep in 2021 at the age of 80. <sighs> that yeah. was so sad. Too bad. I mean, look. She had a really good run. I honestly think 80's way
0: too young at this point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. People are living to be a hundred. You know, yeah. my mom's in her eighties. I want her yeah. to live to be in her hundreds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. My my dad stepdad is in his 80s. I want him to be in yeah, it. Yeah. Um But it's just she was so vibrant. Yeah. And she was still working so hard. And she's still so and good. Still
1: working so much. Oh like my she God. was just working like crazy. Because
0: everybody loved her. Yeah. And she was just the like, glamorous. She had this old This air about her kind of old Hollywood air on screen and in in her characters, but as a person, super down to earth, very funny. Just an amazing
1: person overall. Donna Mills was cast as Toby Williams, the on-again, off-again girlfriend of Clint Eastwood in the movie. I I think Joe uh, (laughs) likes
0: uh, men's names for ladies. I think you're right. (laughs) I think you're very right. Yeah. uh, God, she was so young, Donna Mills. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's beautiful, beautiful young oh, yeah. actress. My God, her eyes are so piercing. She was so great in this
1: movie too. Like, she oh yeah, was so good
0: because it's a very it, it, the part could have just been the throwaway girlfriend part. Yeah, you know, used as a plot device. But she's such a well-rounded character, and there's so much going on there between those two. You know, they're on again, off again relationship. Yeah. yeah, and she's kind of in control there. Uh, yeah, it's a very nuanced relationship. Clint Eastwood directs women really well, I yes. will have to say, he especially does. in the 70s, you know, when we're just kind of starting with the ERA and we're just starting yeah. with, uh, uh, you know, women's rights and feminism, uh, rightly so. And I think he got that. And, and Clint is not afraid of strong women. He's not afraid of, of strong characters. And... uh and he proved that with this movie.
1: Yeah, I, I I think the the quote he has about the winners and the and losers and, and winners just assume that the person next to them is going to be as good as they are. I, I don't think he sees women as like, oh, you're a woman, you're going to be less. It's no. like, no, you're, you're an actor, you're good, this is going to be great. Right. So Donna Mills began her acting career on television with a six-month stint on the CBS daytime soap opera The Secret Storm in 1966. They all start on soups. Playing the character of Rocket.
0: <laughs> Rocket.
1: Following this, she made her film debut in The Incident in 1967, co-starring alongside Martin Sheen, Bo Bridges, Ed McMahon, and Thelma Ritter. Yeah. She appeared on Broadway in Woody Allen's comedy Don't Drink the Water as the Sultan of Bashir's Wife. And in the fall of 1967, she gained a regular role as ex-nun Laura Donnelly on the soap Love is a Many Splendored Thing. Yeah, that's a good soap. More soaps. <laughs> Mills relocated to the West Coast in 1970, thereupon making her primetime TV debut in an episode of Lancer and appearing in play Misty for me. Lancer. Prior to signing a contract for Universal, Universal Studios in 1972, she spent much of the 70s appearing as a guest on top-rated television shows, such as The
0: Six Million Dollar Man, Hawaii 5 The Love Boat, Chips, The FBI, Quincy M.E., The UK's, Thriller series, nothing to do with Michael Jackson, Police Woman, and Fantasy Island. The play,
1: the play. As well as many made for TV movies. In 1980, Mills landed her most prominent role, that of scheming, manipulative vixen Abby Cunningham, on the long running primetime soap opera Knot's Landing. (laughs) Oh, Abby was a a scheming lady. It was crazy.
0: So, Knot's Landing is all about uh, Don Knotts (laughs) and his compound that he created after being on. Uh, three's Company and being on the Andy Griffith Show. And he was a very evil man. Oh, I'm going to get
1: you. And, uh, and Donna Mills was always scheming. Always scheming, scheming to get yeah. Don Knotts's money. I, it wasn't about Don Knotts coming back from the moon and how he landed. <coughs> back from the moon. Yeah. yeah, and he turned into a fish. <laughs> Mills portrayed Abby from 1980 to 1989. Uh, she continues to act, most recently appearing in Jordan Peele's Nope. Which she was awesome in. She was great. It was very short, but she was so good in it. Yeah, it was worth it. She always... She's still firecracker, and oh, she's yeah. still beautiful, and she still has the chops. <laughs> John Larch got cast as Sergeant McCallum. Uh, Larch served four years in the United States Army during World War II, an experience that left him troubled for years after his discharge. Ugh. In a 1965 interview with the Berkshire Eagle, a newspaper in his home state, he shared his views on how military service had affected him personally, especially his difficulties in readjusting to civilian life. What was my hang-up then?
0: Just about everything. I was looking for the four years I had lost in service. I was also looking for a rhyme or reason to the mass murders that took place. I was looking for the ideals I had once had. I was disgusted with the world. A world in which civilians acted as though there hadn't been a worldwide holocaust.
1: Yeah, it was bad. Uh, It's a lot of stuff to deal with. Yeah. After his lead role in the radio serial Captain Star of Space during the broadcast season of 53 to 54, he began to perform increasingly in films. There's two (laughs) R's. The star. (laughs) Captain Star. The extra R's for rocket power. Yeah. He was usually cast on the big screen in Westerns, like How the West Was Won in 1962, and in other action films, including Miracle of the White Stallions as, as General George S. Patton Jr. in 1963, the television film Collision Course, Truman vs. MacArthur, as General Omar Bradley in 76, <laughs> and replacing James Gregory as Mac in the movie The Wrecking Crew in 1969, starring Dean Martin, Sharon Tate, and Elkie Summer. This a wrecking crew. <laughs> this a wrecking crew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Larch also appears in Dirty Harry. Uh, he was great in this movie. Movie. Oh, yeah, he was. He was fantastic. The The relationship between – it was great because it started with him kind of being, like, kind of an asshole mm-hmm. to, to Eastwood. Yeah. But then he realized how really crazy this chick oh, yeah, was, yeah. and he was like, okay.
0: Yeah, because they're dismissive at the beginning. Yeah. Because this kind of thing also wasn't common back right, then. Right, right. You know, we didn't – this is the precursor to Fatal Attraction, completed yeah. this month. Yeah. for love hurts. But, uh, but it's the same movie. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, it's basically a remake. Let's be honest.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it very. I mean, it changes details. Yeah, but it's but, the uh, same yeah. movie. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it when we get to Fail Attraction. Right. Uh, it's really interesting. There's some weird connections between this movie. Yeah, and well, Fatal this Attraction. movie.
0: Yeah, it's just that this film depicted stalking in such a very. It's. I want to say there's a truth to it. Yeah, and I want to yeah. say that it didn't shy away from the. The awful details, like the 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 scariest part of that movie, is when she attacks his cleaning lady. Oh my god! That shot that is very Hitchcockian, by the way. It really much it really much yeah. It very much reminded me of the shower scene in Psycho. Oh yeah, yeah. And for sure. oh my god, Jessica Walters just hits. She's freaking frightening oh, on that. S- it is so scary. Oh my god! And it's just her. It's just a shot of her. Poor bloop her bloop 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 with a yeah. knife.
1: The poor cleaning lady. Oh my
0: God, the look she gives Eastwood when they're wheeling her out, yeah, on the stretcher, is
1: so sad. It's just like, you did yeah. this to me. Yeah, you yeah. did this to me, and he's like, I did. You could, i feel be like, crap, but I did. Could have ended this a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the cast Jack Ging as France. Ging uh, didn't have as much success in film as he did. I'm sorry. They cast Jack Ging as Frank, not France, because <laughs> France is a country. <laughs> well, France for it, man. Uh, Jack Ging as Frank. Ging didn't have as much success in film as he did in TV. Ging had a recurring role as Lieutenant Dan Ives, one of many of Joe Mannix's Los Angeles Police Department contacts on Mannix from 1967
0: to 1975. Hey, Dan Ives, it's me, Mannix. Yeah. Need some help? Ging's other, other roles were on. The Roaring Twenties, The Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, Wise Guy, B.J. and the Bear, The Winds of War,
1: and War and Remembrance. In 1981, Ging played Tracy Winslow in the episode My Heroes Have Always Been Cowboys of ABC's The Greatest American Hero. Oh, I love that show so much. I know. I love that show so, so much. We're doing <laughs> you get that You a costume show. for that, didn't you?
0: I was too old at that point for my costumings. Yes, that was... You were like 12. Yeah, my costume play... Too cool for school then, were not you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you... Look... Did I want to wear a costume? <laughs> yes. Yeah. The answer is yes. Of course. But uh, <laughs> I had to curb that, or my stepdad would have murdered me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From
1: 1984 to 1985, Ging played the arrogant Lieutenant Ted Quinlan on the adventure detective series Riptide. His character was killed off, and he went on to appear on the A-Team as villain General Harlan Bull Fulbright in there. a couple episodes. Harlan <laughs> Bull Fulbright, get yeah. me the A-Team. Ging passed in 2022 at the age of 90. Oh, good run. I mean, honestly, all of them. I've, I've been including a lot of the deaths in these, but it's because all of them like got up into their like eighties and nineties. Yeah. Like they thanks COVID. Yeah, killed all of our <laughs> favorite stars. <laughs> uh, Irene Hervey was cast as Madge. She began her acting career after being introduced to a casting agent from MGM. Oh. After a successful screen test, she was signed by the studio and made her screen debut in the 1933 film The Stranger's Return, opposite Lionel Barrymore. Lionel Barrymore, related to Drew Barrymore. Yes, I think it was her grandfather?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: He would la- she would later sign a contract with Universal Pictures, appearing in numerous films for the studio, including the Western Destry Rides Again in 1939, opposite Jimmy Stewart and Marlena Dietrich. You know, there are so many people that I know, and they're younger people, that love the Destry series for some really? reason. Really? Yeah. It's weird. Interesting. I that's don't get it. weird. Yeah. At Universal from 1940 to 1943, Hervey le- had the lead in 11 B pictures, one A picture, and one serial. In 1943, she was seriously injured in a car accident and was forced to retire from acting for five years. Damn. Well, that's more of a leave of absence than retirement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hervey would appear in I'm a number. stickler. Well, that's fine. <laughs> Hervey would appear in a number of TV programs throughout the 50s and 60s. In 1969, Hervey was nominated for an Emmy Award for Outstanding Single Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for Her Appearance on My Three Sons. My Three Sons. Do you remember that show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was great. I once played golf behind Uncle Charlie. Oh, yeah. He was like 140 years oh, old. Oh,
0: God. And I was like, hey, Uncle Charlie. And he was like, look. He was the greatest guy. And he literally must have been 100. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. eh, I'm old. You go in front of me, because I'm old now. <laughs> I was like, okay, Uncle Charlie, don't call me that. God damn it.
1: Uh, after playing Misty For Me, Hervey retired from film acting, but continued to work in television. Her son Jack Jones sang the Love Boat theme. Love,
0: exciting and new. Come aboard, we're expecting you in love. Won't hurt anymore. I'm going to go on. The scene with Clinius went in her when she's like, ah, we want to get you in on the radio and give you a whole new career. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, bids. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I love it. And then, oh, man, here comes Crazy <laughs> oh, Sauce. God, yes. What are you doing? Screwing a senior citizen? Oh, it was just so painful to watch. It was so
1: uncomfortable. And
0: he, oh, my God, his reaction to that is so good it's so yeah. real like he just takes her out. he's like we're, we're
1: going we're going now yeah yeah
0: and then she, He's like what are you doing and then it's he is such uh, look ladieswood's a bit of a player in this movie sure but he's sure. also a pretty
1: nice guy he puts yeah. up
0: with a lot of crap with her
1: he does you know I, and in and, in and, and, and to like you were saying earlier partially it's his own fault I, yes. I i mean he needed to cut that out and be done with it yeah, he but had a shot. He's a nice guy. He blew and it. And he, yeah. He blew it because he had an out. He did. And then he slept with her again. And yep.
0: that was just the dumbest. Thing. Then it's on that him. Was, that, was
1: the, <laughs> that was the moment where I was like, oh, buddy, you're, this is all on you now, man. Do you remember being a younger man and giving the
0: opportunity to have sexual relations
1: it she was hard to She showed up. up and was
0: naked outside of her ha- of his house. Yeah, well, that's not the craziest thing she did. I, but still, like, that's... I, uh, uh, it's not like she did it in the radio station. I know, but still, I just... yeah. Well, she's anyway. a goon, and she was so good at being unhinged. Oh, my God, she's just she was so good. Yeah. It she's, was so oh. uncomfortable. The whole movie's just
1: squirming. She's so, those eyes, <laughs> constantly those eyes. You want to know me? <laughs> Oh, I called, and you said you weren't here, and I was outside waiting. Oh, God. <laughs> so uh, Irene Hervey passed from heart failure in 1998 at the age of 89. Oh. No. Yeah. Well, that's a good run. That's a good run, yeah. Uh, James McEachin as Al Monty. Uh, he was one of the other DJs. Uh, McEachin served in the United States Army before and then during the Korean War. He was wounded almost fatally in an ambush. Oh, my God. McEachin was one of only two soldiers to survive the ambush. Oh my God! It's crazy. I can't even imagine. No, because the survivor's guilt on that. Oh, awful. Jesus. And then, but, but also, like you know, you can't really. You're, normal, you're almost dead yourself. Like, what do you do? You know. Yeah. What I mean,
0: look, I can't even fathom war. I can't even yeah, my yeah. my tiny little dumb brain can't even conceive of the horror no, of being no. a soldier in war. And no, awful. I don't know. Uh, I would. I would shut down. <laughs> I, have I would nothing, shut down. Nothing but yeah. respect for veterans. It's just I. I I mean, I guess we all can rise to the
1: occasion or whatever, and I yeah. guess we
0: find out what our medal is when we're put in that situation. Yeah, but, yeah.
1: Uh, I, can't, I can't imagine. He was awarded both the Purple Heart and Silver Star in 2005 after it was discovered McEachin had no copies of his own military records. Good Lord. He was awarded seven Medals of Valor in total 50 years after his service. Yeah, they like lost his, his records. Seven? Do you He's know the seven, amount yeah. of stuff you have to do yeah. to yeah. just get one? yeah. He uh he was he was a he was a war hero. That guy the is a of the day. bona fide yeah. MF and war hero. He's he fascinating, absolutely fascinating life. Uh following his military career, McEachin dabbled in civil service, first as a fireman and then a policeman in Hackensack, New Jersey, before he moved to California and became a record producer.
0: I hate Hackensack, New Jersey. I'm going to California.
1: I don't war hero to cop to record producer. Like it's like what, what you just
0: okay. There was a time adam <laughs> where you could basically do that stuff. yeah you where could. you could That's it true. wasn't That's impossible true. to get into the movie business people didn't care about it yeah you know yeah yeah people liked movies but they didn't want to get into it right not everybody right. wanted to be an actor an influencer right. or a right. celebrity back then so it was you could go be like hey i'm a phlebotomist here in hawaii <laughs> yeah. now i'm gonna go to california and produce commercials yeah. And people yeah. be like okay whatever All you
1: right. want to do we need people Uh, He was known as Jimmy Mack in the industry. He worked with young artists such as Otis Redding and went on to produce The Furies. Nice. Jimmy Mack.
0: That's a great,
1: great record producer name. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Mack. It's perfect. Uh, He began his acting career shortly after and was signed by Universal as a contract actor in the 1960s. He would usually appear as cops or lawyers in TV shows like Hawaii Five-0, The Rockford Files, Mannix, The Feather and Feather Gang. The Feather and Father
0: Gang? Yeah. The Feather and Father Gang. I have no idea what that I've is. Never heard of it. <laughs> the Eddie Capra Mysteries. Matlock. Jake and the Fat Man. Diagnosis Murder. Dragnet. It Takes a Thief. And Adam Twelve.
1: My you sh- only put my that show. Your yeah, name it's it. one, Adam show,
0: 12, yeah. one Adam Twelve. One
1: Adam Twelve. He appeared in an uncredited part in the film Coogan's Bluff in 1968 with West. Yeah. Yeah, He appeared in Every Which Way But Loose with Eastwood in 1978 He made his third film with Eastwood in 1983 When he starred as Detective Barnes In the fourth Dirty Harry movie, Sudden Impact One of McEachin's daughters was Ice Cube's personal assistant for a long time Nice uh, McEachin resides in Encino Still happily enjoying his 92 years He's 92 years old I don't think he's acting anymore but uh, well, Maybe we'll run into him because we live he, really close He lives next door in Encino yeah, I'm going to start walking uh, Fascinating life, this guy I, Oh my god, yeah uh, to go from yeah all of that
0: to go from all of that pain and horror yeah to being so successful it just shows that this guy has it you yeah. know has a work ethic and has
1: oh yeah a resilience that is kind of rare today <laughs> I am sure that him and Eastwood got along very well oh yeah, yeah. very well yeah. Clarice Taylor was cast as Bertie, uh, his uh, unfortunate housekeeper. Poor Bertie. Uh, Taylor was best known for her recurring role on television on The Cosby Show as Dr. Heathcliff Cliff Huxtable's mother, Anna Huxtable. She was great. She was fantastic in that show. Oh, yeah. Both of the, the, the
0: actors that played his parents were awesome.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. The dad was really great, too. They should have disciplined a lot more
0: <sighs> because Dr. Cosby... It, well, stuff. in the fictional
1: world, he was not a rapist no. So I, uh, He was yeah. the opposite He was He was an OBGYN uh, Is that the opposite of a rapist? No <laughs> yes. uh, She was nominated for an Emmy Award in 1986 for her role on The Cosby Show Very deserved She was also a regular on Nurse, played Harriet on Sesame Street, and appeared as Grady's cousin Emma on Sanford and Son Coming she... to join you, Elizabeth. She died uh, in 2011 from congestive heart failure at the age of 93. God, these, this movie just is longevity city, man. I, Exactly. Exactly. All oh, except for poor Joe Himes, man. I know. Oh, it's That's, disappointing. It's unfair. Yeah. So the storyline for Play Misty for Me was originally set in Los Angeles, but at Eastwood's insistence, the film was shot in the more comfortable surroundings of the actual Carmel by the Sea, where he would shoot scenes at the local radio station, bars, and restaurants in friends' houses. Brilliant, because... He wanted to set it
0: in a place where he was comfortable, Yeah, where he knew yeah. the locations, he knew the people. It was basically hometown boy makes movie at home. He, yeah, he was setting himself up for success. Yeah, and it gives him a much more comfortable place. To shoot, and he already knows the area.
1: He knows yeah. what he wants to do, so it, it was really smart of him to do that. They actually moved the uh, uh, studio, the the um, radio station. They actually moved it while they were shooting, and I think it stayed in the new location. In some, it was like in an office building, but huh. they moved it, and they shot in the actual radio station. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Filming commenced in Monterey, California in September 1970, and although this was Eastwood's debut as film director, Don Siegel stood by to help and also had an acting role in the film as the bartender. (laughs) It was so good. So great. The first scene Eastwood shot was Don Siegel's cameo as Murph the bartender. Ah, Murph.
0: What a great name for a (laughs) bartender. So great. Hey, Murph!
1: His mustache was so fantastic. Give me the
0: usual, Murph! (laughs)
1: As a joke, Eastwood made Siegel do 11 takes, then told the cameraman to put the film in the camera.
0: Okay, put the film in the camera.
1: Hardy har har. I think it's great. Great, great joke, Clint. (laughs) I did that to you 30 years ago, you idiot. (laughs) Don Siegel also directed Eastwood and Coogan's Bluff in 1968, Two Mules for Sister Sarah in 1970, Dirty Harry in 71, The Beguiled in 71, and Escape from Alcatraz in 1979. Have you seen Two Mules for Sister Sarah? No. Uh, Is that about nuns? It's pretty funny. Siegel directed the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers in 1956. Nice. He would also direct John Wayne's last movie, The Shootist, in 1976. Really good movie. Yeah. Not great looking. Kind of looks like a TV movie a little bit, but
0: yeah, it is such a great and, and poignant ending to to his career, Wayne's career. Yeah. It, it stars he and Little Ronnie Howard. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's a gunslinger who's dying of cancer. And oh wow. And. Wayne was dying of cancer at the time. Right, right. Uh, pretty sure. He got very method. Well, it yes, was yeah. sad because yeah, he it wasn't was, looking it was. like him. And, no, no. And it was,
1: he was a very broken. Yeah.
0: But it was such a great performance, a great performance by Ron Howard, who you forget was such an impeccable young oh, yeah. actor. And
1: just a good send off for Mr. Wayne, yeah. I think. Yeah, totally. I've, I've, I've seen it. I've not seen it in a long time. I gotta sit on this pillow because of my cancer. <laughs> Frequent collaborators, collaborators of Siegels, such as cinematographer Bruce Surtees, editor Carl Pingator, and composer D. Barton, made up part of the filming team. Again, Eastwood supported surrounding himself with people he knows. Yep. Additional scenes were shot at the Monterey Jazz Festival in nineteen seventy, <laughs> September nineteen seventy, featuring jazz greats Johnny Otis, Cannonball Adderley, and future Weather Report founder Joe Zawinul. This was the way. You know, Clint was like, I got to get to that
0: festival. I got to work. Wait a minute. Light bulb. Yeah. Yeah. Let me call up Joe. I got to answer for the 30 pages we're missing in the script. It's called Walkin'.
1: <laughs> the Sardine Factory is still at the same location as in the film at Prescott and Wave Streets, just one block up from Cannery Row in Monterey. God, it stinks. You know it stinks. <laughs> it stinks so bad. It's your favorite Your favorite restaurant, Sardine Arf. Factory. Yeah. Uh, the radio station KRML was an actual jazz station in Carmel, whose studios were relocated to the Eastwood building at San Carlos and Fifth in the same building as the Hog's Breath Inn, a restaurant that Eastwood owned. He owned all of it. He was mayor he owned of Carmel. A large yeah.
0: part of Carmel, yeah. He ended up serving as mayor for many years. He ended up marrying uh, one of the newscasters from Carmel. Oh, yeah. I yeah. think it's his current wife. I'm not sure if Oh, really? Uh, oh. I think they're still together. Um, yeah, that man loves Carmel, and rightly so. Have you ever been to Carmel? No. Oh, my God. I, is, I
1: mean, it looked amazing in the movie. I,
0: it is just a. It, I mean, it was a lot more laid back back then. Sure, sure. It got a lot of attention because of mr eastwood and, yeah you know, but but it was such a quaint little like village almost little little yeah. hamlet yeah just a, you, you,
1: I mean, it's just a perfect little chunk of America yeah. where you could just go and escape nice little city by the seaside i yeah. Phoebe and I have a friend that lives in monterey so we we'll, we're most likely this year going to go up to that area at some point so I'll have to go by Carmel by the Sea you yeah, do and you have to play Misty I will, I will play Misty for you Jim uh, so after a, a brief dark period the radio station returned to the air in 2011 it's still on the air K- good KRML Carmel Radio okay. KRML every time he said it it was like a just just say Carmel you can't <laughs> KRML you gotta say the car letters I know, it's I
0: F-A-F-C-C <laughs> regulation I'm gonna say F-A-A regulation got my F's wrong uh, or my uh, A's and my C's
1: the rights to the song Misty were obtained after Eastwood saw Errol Garner perform at the Concord Music Festival in 1970. Kind of important to have the rights to the song that yes. is the title of your movie. Uh, usually, yeah.
0: you have to change it to, uh, uh, play Rock Around the Clock for
1: me. <laughs> <laughs> play It's a Wonderful World for me. <laughs> Eastwood also paid $2,000 for the use of the song The First Time I Ever Saw Your Face by Roberta Flack. First time. That was... When they were walking around the seaside Never for hours. I saw your face. It's
0: not the most energetic song.
1: No, but it's so the, 1971. The oh my God, it is.
0: <laughs> and Roberta Flack is very 70s. Oh yeah. And it's a beautiful song
1: about the first time ever she saw. Your face, yes. Uh, meticulous planning and efficient directorship by Eastwood, which would become one of his trademarks, enabled the film to be made nearly fifty thousand dollars short of its one million dollar budget, and it was completed four or five days ahead of schedule. Fifty
0: grand is a lot of money back then. Yeah, and in you know, I mean, the fact that it was only a million dollars, I know, it's I insane. Know. Yeah, uh,
1: and to come in under a million, even a pro. Yeah. Under budget at all. That's amazing. That's it's absolutely not, amazing. Yeah,
0: it's it's very atypical.
1: Play Misty For Me premiered in October 1971 at the San Francisco Film Festival. It was a mild financial success, grossing $10.6 million at the U.S. and Canadian box office. It grossed 133000 its first week from six theaters, finishing 10th for the week at the box office in the U.S. and Canada. It's, uh... Ten times its budget. It made money. That's not bad. I and God knows Eastwood saw a good chunk of that. It's a good return. <laughs> you know, much better than his directing fee. Yeah, I wouldn't sure. be. I wouldn't doubt if he probably pulled down like a couple hundred thousand dollars for it. Oh, I'd say yeah, at least. I, I mean, you know, depending on points. I mean, even if you got five percent, maybe still, even a million. That's still, if you got ten percent. That's yeah. a million bucks. Well, yeah, even if five percent, that's Half that's a hefty. Yeah, yeah, it's better than he would have gotten for doing his acting. That guy's shrewd. Yeah, uh, Roger Ebert wrote. Play Misty for me
0: is not the artistic equal of Psycho, but in the business of collecting an
1: audience into the palm of its hand and then squeezing hard, it is supreme. Jessica Walter was nominated for the 1972 Golden Globe Award for Best Actress Drama She Should have got movie. an Oscar nom. Agreed. In Dirty Harry, a cinema marquee that clearly shows the title of Play Misty for me is visible in the very beginning of the film as, or as in, Inspector Detective... Inspector Detective Harry Callahan. Callahan is on his lunch break before the bank robbery. Bank robbery, which opens the movie,
0: and he looks up at the at the marquee and he's like, "Eh, not for me." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Too, <laughs> I didn't like it. Too slow. Uh, I didn't buy it. Didn't like the lead.
1: So that's all I got for the movie. But uh, man, I just it, it, I'd never seen this before. We started watching it before we decided we we're going to do this, and it just movies blew me away. It's great. It is.
0: Really, really interesting, and yeah, Clint Eastwood's a million years old now, and you know you forget that he's been in the business for seventy years. Yeah, I basically mean, since, since the early fifties. Yeah. yeah, so it's fun to see him as a young, energetic, yeah, handsome, handsome man. Yeah, yeah, and that hair, baby. <laughs> um, but he's also. The thing about Eastwood is, oh, he's the tough guy. He's the tough guy. He's really not. I mean, he's tough and capable in all of his movies. But he's also – there's always an underlying either sadness or underlying psychology or something going on under the surface of his characters that make them a lot more well-rounded than they deserve to be sometimes, if that makes sense. Yeah, And I think – that loser quote isn't like, ah, I can never play a loser. No, 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 no. It's more like he understands what the audience wants from him. Yeah. And I think he learned that on The Beguiled. And look, not everybody could be everything. Yeah. You know, there are certain actors like Arnold, you know, or Stallone, you know. Yeah. And, and look, Clint Eastwood is a much better actor than both of those guys. No disrespect to them. Sure. But there are certain – like – you don't want to see – Stallone's never going to play the head of surgery at John Hopkins University,
1: <laughs> you know? No, because the parts already taken by Steven Seagal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's yeah, a CIA surgeon. <laughs> um,
0: you know, and he built a career knowing what the audience wants, knowing what yeah. he wanted, and, and kind of just doing his thing. Yeah, yeah. The guy has quietly made movies for 50 years. Yeah. And he's still making movies. Yeah. One year the 90s. And <laughs> yeah. that's and, and quality product. Right. Not as good as the other stuff he's, he, he, he as he's done, but sure. I I have enjoyed. I enjoyed that last movie he did which the name I forget where he goes and mm. gets the kid from Mexico and The Mule? Was that that wasn't the no, the Mule, was The Mule? No, The Mule was one after that. It was after that. It was based on a book and Yeah, oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It that. was fine. The Mule was really interesting. He's still doing interesting work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's doing what he wants to do. And I think he's always done what he wants to do. Yeah. And I think that's pretty admirable in this business. There's
1: not a lot of people that pave their own way and last. Right. Right. I I see his quote about the losers is not it's not that is being a loser is bad. It's just that you can be sensitive and vulnerable and still be assured of sure right. yourself. Right, right. You know, You. I, I think his reference to, like, Hoffman and, and some of the others then is that they, would just, they were just kind of sad sack schlubs. And it was like, no, you can be sensitive and still be a, a radio jazz DJ sure. that still, you know, knows what he's doing. Yeah, like, I, I also think that he was saying that they're good at that. That yeah. they can yeah. do it, yeah. and he's not.
0: You know, it's, yeah. I think it was more of a... Of a, a revelation yeah. and a dig, you know. Right. I think totally. it's like, totally. yeah, those guys could do it, but my audience, when they see it, they don't buy it as much. Yeah, and I get it, you know. And back then, I mean, the guy was—he was the original tough guy. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, he yeah. was the original action star. He yeah. was the original, the the original franchise guy with all of the spaghetti right. westerns, right. and you know, with uh, the Dirty Harry franchise, and and uh, and he just. Always does quality work. Even the movies that aren't as great as Unforgiven or Yeah or Million Dollar Baby, they're still very interesting to watch. Yeah, and they're different. Yeah. You watch Blood Work; it is such a low key, interesting movie. It's mm-hmm. like a seventies movie made in the nineties. Oh, well. in my have you seen yeah. Bloodwork?
1: I want to say yes. Jeff Daniels and. I think so. If I haven't, it's been a long time. He's like a
0: cop going after a guy and has yeah. a heart attack and has a heart transplant. I think. Yeah. And the serial yeah. killers back and um, interesting movie. I think I've seen every movie he's done. Of course, of course, of course. because yeah. I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah. Uh, I always have been, and I always will be. I don't care about politics. I don't care about that stuff. Whatever. Yeah, the thing he did talking to the chair. <laughs> okay, I, I thought it was really funny.
1: <laughs> it was funny, and at this point, it's quaint. I mean, yeah. let's be oh, honest. Yes, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, but no, but his his politics notwithstanding, he's never put that at the forefront. You know, like he's it's never been. He just is like I'm going to work. Yeah, like I have my opinions, but that's separate from my work. Well, it was just very. It was so out of character for him to appear. Yeah, and
0: and be political. Yes, right. he is conservative and political, and sure. he was a mayor for a long time. You know, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. in politics, but I think the guy is more interested in making art. Yeah, and. and in entertaining people than he is of dividing people and being yeah like, oh, yeah you lazy's
1: I don't know he's the kind of guy that's like yeah these are my politics you're gonna like me anyway and you're gonna come see my movie because I'm good at what I do and and you're gonna be entertained he's also one of those guys
0: that worked his ass off to get yeah. to where he is oh yeah and started off uh, I think he started off pretty poor and yeah you know mm-hmm. I don't I have I have his autobiography which. Is really good if you want to read it. Um, yep. yeah. But uh, or biography, I'm not sure if he wrote it himself. I don't know. I got it years ago, but uh, but just there hasn't been another American filmmaker with such a prolific career and such a a, a, a career of just quality in terms of being an actor and a director. Right. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can't think of a first effort mm-hmm. for a movie that that had this is like this good. Like so, a director yeah. that does like, you know, their first movie and it is like this successful. I filled with ambition, filled with uh
0: challenges for the audience, yeah. uh just a a a really great debut performance as a director that just got better and better and better yeah. as he went yeah. along. And the guy deserves all the success. That he's had, and I hope that he keeps making movies until he's in his hundies, man. Yeah, that'd be great.
1: It's possible. The guy doesn't seem to be like he's stopping. Yeah, because he's, what, like 93 now, I think? 92? Yeah, give my lord. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we'll be back next week. Uh, We got uh, another fun Love Hurts. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, boy. This has given me uh, flashbacks this whole month. (laughs) But do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen this movie, watch it. Yes. It's a perfect Sunday afternoon movie. Yeah. If uh, it's on a rainy day, get <laughs> yourself some soup and a yeah. grilled cheese and pop on Play Misty for me. You're ah, going to love it. So good. It's a great movie. Uh, we're going to be back again next week with ooh, my other favorite actor, my other favorite guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Old Harrison
1: Ford. Another tough guy that can play sensitive. Yes. Yeah. Presumed innocent. Oh, yeah. It's going to be innocent? fun. It's going to be interesting. We're going to presume it. <laughs> I'll see you
0: next week. <laughs> it really shows how... A. How much? Uh, I was going to say John Wayne. <laughs> That's not him. Nope. Uh, how much? Uh, Jack Nicholson wanted to. Uh, I know. Uh, what's his f- name? Walter Matthau. Yes. Uh. Walter Matthau. Um, Clint Eastwood. Okay. Clint Eastwood. Yes. <laughs> we now return to your regularly scheduled programming. Benson, already in progress. We'll mm-hmm.